The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Father, we, uh, we thank you that we can come before you again and learn from your word, Lord. Uh, we thank you for this building, old and cranky though it sometimes is. Uh, we thank you for the freedom we have to meet here together as your body, your family in Christ. And Lord, now as we come before your word, we pray and ask for your help and your assistance. Lord, please help me to teach this faithfully and clearly. And I pray that you would do something only you can do in our lives. You're here, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. Uh, open our eyes to you. Open our hearts to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you just wanted to quit? Some of you are like, when have I not found myself in that situation? Um, I think we've all had some sort of a situation like that. Maybe, maybe you're in one right now. I just, I want to quit. Um, it could be a job. Sometimes the job is rough. It could be a relationship, right? You're tempted to, this, it's not working. It could be a habit. Maybe you've got a habit, you keep falling back into it. Could be even your faith. You're just not sure it's worth it. Maybe you're not sure it's true. And we know, right, some things we should quit. Other things, uh, we don't have a choice but to quit. But there are some precious things, I hope, that no matter the pain, no matter the cost, no matter how long it takes, you're not going to quit. We're in the Gospel of Luke this morning. You'll remember Luke is a, uh, a doctor and a historian who worked very hard, he tells us, to research and chronicle the life of Jesus. And in this passage we're in today, Luke 18, um, we see that Jesus knew that sometimes life would get horribly difficult for his people as they waited for his return. So this, this passage is right in the middle of Jesus talking about his second coming, his return. And he's anticipating it'll be hard, it'll be difficult. We will feel the pressure of the world, and really on, on two angles from this passage. One is suffering and injustice. You'll feel pressure, and you'll be tempted to lose heart. Or, and it's mentioned right at the end of the last chapter, you'll feel the pressure of the world in comfort. Just, just getting more stuff, living, living for the urgent of, of this life. And in either case... In either case, you could lose heart and quit praying to the dangerous point, it seems like in this passage, where um, some even lose their faith. Lose heart, quit praying to the point where some lose their faith. Maybe that, maybe that sounds familiar to you uh, this morning. Maybe you've kind of quit praying. Or maybe you feel like you never really started praying. Uh, why is that? Do you ever feel like you can get too numbed out by entertainment in your urgent list to pray? Prayer's too boring. You're too busy. Could stream another series on Netflix or pray. Uh, or maybe you're, maybe you're crushed with the weight of life. Things are rough. It's hard to lift your eyes to God and pray Again, maybe it's a mix of both. Either way, I think we all have the feeling sometimes that prayer isn't worth it. You ever have that feeling? It's not worth it. It doesn't do it. One reason I think for that is that we, we struggle with uh, delayed gratification. Uh, 
You know, a couple months, it'll be January. What are some of you going to do? I've given up. Um, New Year's resolutions, right? And, uh, you know, the gym's always more full that second week of January. And you're like, just wait a few weeks, then it comes back down to normal. Why is that? Well, it's a delayed gratification, right? Think of the things you could do if it happened instantly. If you went to the gym once and you were ripped, everybody would go. If you spent one day dieting, everybody would diet. If you prayed and it came true, you'd pray, but that's not real life. That's fantasy land. That's hocus pocus. That's not how it works. Jesus is talking about praying and enduring and praying until he comes back. Despite the struggle, he wants us to endure in prayer. Now, you've got to love verses like this, Luke 18. You know, sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, I'm not sure what this is about. And in Luke 18, 1, I think, I think any of us can figure this one out. He told them a parable to the effect that what? They ought always to pray and not lose heart. So... What do you think it's about? <laughs> that, you'd, that you'd always pray, no matter the pressure, no matter the difficulty, that you would endure, that you'd never quit, that you'd never give up, no matter what. You'd always pray and you'd never lose heart. So you'd never get to that point of discouragement where you're like, this isn't worth it, this isn't working. You'd never give up because there's this motivation in you to always keep at it, to always go for it. That's what Jesus is trying to stir up in, all, in us today, in his disciples then and in us now, that you would always pray and you'd never lose heart and you'd keep at it. That's what he wants. Prayer. We've been spending several weeks in prayer. You know, it's been, I don't know if it's been good for you, it's been good for me. I've gone from just, you know, it's so easy just to be like, Lord be with him, thanks for the food, God is great, God is neat, let's eat. You ever have prayers like that? <laughs> Slap it on there again. And it feels like, gosh, that is useless. To, to realizing the depth of um, God's presence with you and that we are invited to respond to him in all of life and that we are invited to respond to who he is as, as, a, as the Bible shows us, as he's revealed himself in Scripture, responding to who he is in everything and even desiring his desires, pressing in on him for what he's promised Wanting his work in the world, and you, and you feel like a passion for prayer, to want to, to, to be nearer to the Lord, to want be, to be hungry for what he's doing, that we would get there and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be discouraged, we wouldn't quit, no matter how long. So Jesus wants to inspire this in us, he wants to inspire it in you today, and he's going to do it through this parable. So we're going to look through this parable, we're going to see two parties and the point. Two parties in the parable and the point, a past point, a future point, and hopefully that will motivate us to never quit, to never pray, to never quit praying. Pastor Matt said never pray. Never quit praying. So let's begin. Verse 2. Here's Jesus' parable. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Uh, This is every community's worst nightmare. It's happening all over the world. First of all, in this parable, we have a judge. That means he has power. He has power to make decisions. And there's two things this guy doesn't do, though he has all the power. What's the first one? There's a judge who neither feared God. So he has no sense that there's an authority over him and no concern for that. He's his own God. 
He does what he wants. He has no sense that he's going to have to answer for how he's lived. No concern over that. He does what he wants. No fear of God. What's the second thing he doesn't have? Doesn't have any respect for people. No respect for human beings. He doesn't really care about others and their situations. Now, I don't know about you, but I think these two things go together hand in hand. Because the Bible tells us that humans are made, what? In the image of God. And which ones, which ones are made in the image of God? The rich, young, healthy ones. The, the ones that are in my ethnicity. No, which, which, one, which humans are made in the image of God? All of them. All of them have immense dignity and worth. So if you fear God honestly from your heart, not just what you talk about, but if you fear him, what else will, will occur in you and your attitude towards others? You'll have respect for them, dignity for them. So he has no fear of God, no respect for people, and what does this lead to? Injustice. And oh, could we, we, could spend, we could spend the week counting the ways this occurs. I think of the caste system I've seen um, in India. What does that whole system have? It has a different sort of God, right? And then it has uh, variations on which people are more valuable based on what they may or may not have done in the past. And so you've got the, the untouchables, right? And what's their value or worth to society? They don't have any. They're less valuable because they've got a screwed up view of God. Or slavery, what was that all about? What is that all about all over the world? Well, there are certain people who have less value, right? And so what can we do with them if we're in power? We can do whatever we want. We can exploit them if we don't fear God. Abortion, demean the weak because they don't have the same value. Countless situations where there's no hope for the poor all over the world. The powerful exploit them. Injustice happens. No fear of God. No respect for man. And today we can even talk about persecution of Christians all over the world. There's more now than ever in history. Uh, Injustice. So we see the strong demeaning and dominating the weak because there's no fear of God. There's no respect for humanity. And it happens all the time, doesn't it? Here's the judge. He's unjust, doesn't fear God, doesn't respect man. He's doing whatever he wants. And he has all the power. What can be done? Do you ever feel that way? You listen to the news again. You look what's out there. Injustice, what can you do? Feels like nothing. It feels like nothing. That leads us to the second person in this parable. Look at verse 3. There was a widow in that city. Now for the ancient world, if you wanted a picture of powerlessness, it would be a widow. She has no power, no help. And the fact that she's going to the judge tells us how weak she actually is. In that day, uh, ladies weren't allowed to go to court. Everybody, boo. Um, the fact, unless you had no kinsman redeemer, no helper. So the fact that she has to go herself to the judge shows you how alone she is. She has no one. So here we have a jerk of a judge, doesn't care, does what he wants. And here we have someone who's totally powerless She's been defrauded somehow. Injustice has occurred, and she has, she has no hope. Now, I think Jesus is, giving, Jesus is giving us a hint of what life will be like sometimes until he comes back. Because that's what we're talking about in context here, Luke 17 and 18, waiting for Jesus to come back. Sometimes it'll seem like injustice has all the power, and there's nothing we can do. 
So that's interesting to see, isn't it? Because sometimes, uh, and these are valid questions, but sometimes questions that challenge Christianity, we say, boy, it seems like there's only injustice and there's nothing we can do. Therefore, Christianity must not be true. Now listen, these are good questions and they take some long answers, some long thinking. But we do have Jesus telling us that it'll often seem this way. You should actually expect it. For a while in this window, it'll seem like injustice has all the power. So here's this widow. What, what can she do? Well, there's one thing, and she does it well. Look at verse 3. There was a window, widow in that city, and what did she do? See those three words? There was a widow in that city who what? Kept coming. What did she do? She kept coming. She kept coming. She kept coming and saying, give me justice against my adversary. It's real simple what she's doing. What power does she have? None. What hope does she have, really? Not much. But what does she keep doing? She doesn't stop coming and asking for justice. Despite the injustice, despite the heartlessness, despite the hopelessness, she perseveres. She won't quit. Now look at verse 4. For a while, he, the judge, refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, so his motives haven't changed. Verse 5. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice. And the next line, I think, would have had Jesus' audience laughing because he says, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Do you ever see the Rocky movies? Adrian, come on, anyone, right? Am I alone in this? Rocky 1, awesome, right? Rocky 2, Rocky 3, start losing me at that point. What are they setting up every time in Rocky. Right, he's the underdog, but he's going to train, right? He's going to train in slow motion, running down the beach, right? And then every week, he gets faster. He's going to train, because what does Rocky do? He keeps coming. Even when he gets hit, he keeps coming. And believe it or not, the language Jesus uses in this parable is taken from boxing, that she will not beat me down. It's, it's, it's the language that they would use for a boxing match. So this unjust judge has said, this widow is like Rocky. She's smacking me around. She's beating me down. She's knocked me out with her persistence. She didn't give up. So it's a simple parable, right? Unjust jerk with all the power. Hopeless widow. What can she do? She doesn't quit. She doesn't quit. She doesn't quit. And it wasn't immediate gratification, right? Verse 4, for a while he refused. For a while he refused. She didn't, well, I'm done. She didn't, she didn't do that. She kept at it. She doesn't quit. She doesn't quit. She doesn't quit. And he rules in her favor due to her persistence. What's the point? Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? So this is a, this is a classical ancient argument arguing from the lesser to the greater. 
So first thing we need to say is, is do, you think God is say, do you think Jesus is saying that God is like the unjust judge? No fear of God, no respect for man. And because God's a jerk like that, all we can do is be persistent like the widow. Is that what Jesus is saying? Impossible, right? No way. That would outrage Jesus. He'd be disgusted by that idea. And we've seen a lot of things about God through Luke if you're reading the text. But look at Luke 12.32. I think we have a slide for that. Luke 12.32, what does Jesus say? Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Precious line. First two words, don't be afraid. Why does the Bible have to tell us 300-something times not to be afraid? Because we're always afraid. (laughs) And so he's always comforting us. Fear not. Don't be afraid. And then he calls us little flock. Um, Your pride won't like that. I'm not a little flock. But if you're humble, you like that. Because what does it sound like to you? You're precious. I got you. I'm holding you. I care about you. I'm your shepherd. Fear not, little flock, for it is your what? Father's good pleasure. So what is, what is Jesus constantly telling us about who God is to us through him? A father. And if you had a, if you had a rough father, this could be tough to understand, but I think even there we can learn from the negative. You know what your father should have been. And that's what this God, our God, is. A good father. In fact, he's generous. He's kind. He protects. It's your father's good pleasure. What does he want to give you? What's your father want to give you? The kingdom. He wants to give you everything he's got. He's giving you all of it. His king. His future. The new heavens. The new earth. And it's his good pleasure to do it. See, do you get this idea of a God who's unjust and miserly? Is he like the Scrooge? God, can I have something? No, quit asking. No, he loves to give his kingdom to his people. So Jesus' argument is from the lesser to the greater. So if a hopeless widow can get a good decision from a jerk of a judge through persistence, how much more, how much more the elect, what does that mean? What does that word mean? Chosen. Think about that for a moment. Who, cho- who chose who? God chose you personally to give you the kingdom. If he's chosen you, he loves you, you're precious to him. If the widow can get justice from a jerk with persistence, how much more will we get, and this is a, an interesting word for justice. It's different than the norm. It means like vindication. How much more will we get vindication from our God as we pray persistently? So what's the, what's the nugget here? What did the widow do that we should do? Persist. Keep at it. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. You'll be vindicated. Your father will take care of you. I want to look at this past and present. Because again, what what is Jesus trying to motivate in you? What's he want? A passionate seeking of him, praying to him, crying out to him, desiring him until the end, no matter what. That you wouldn't lose heart. 
that you wouldn't be numbed out by the bling of this world and all it offers, and that you wouldn't be crushed by the evil and the wickedness and the apparent hopelessness, that it wouldn't wipe you out, but you'd keep going, that you'd make it. That's what he wants to instill in us. And he's promising the Father's generous and he'll vindicate his people. He'll bring justice. We have a better view than Jesus' audience did. What do I mean by that? We have a better view than Jesus' audience did. In this passage, Jesus is talking about his return. He's going to come. It's going to be like lightning. Bam. He's going to bring justice. We can see that. But we can also see something else that his audience couldn't see at this point. What do you think it's going to be? Where where is the gospel of Luke and all the other gospels? Where do they climax? Where is their ultimate? What does Jesus do for us? He lays down his life for you. And there was so much of this language in Luke 18 in another place, in Sinti, in God's providence, mentioned it this morning. Look with me at parts of Romans chapter 3. My goal in looking here is that it would warm your heart towards God's love for you and his justice that he's given you. And it would give you that motivation to endure. Okay? 321. Will you read it with me? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. All right, so a little Christianity 101, let's explain some of these points. But now the righteousness, so what's righteousness? I like to say it's God's character. It's what God loves. God is righteous, right? It's what he loves. He loves what is right. Now how do we know what his righteousness looks like? How do we know? Well, the law. The law shows us God's righteousness. So if you wanted to be righteous like God and love what God loves and do what God wants you to do, you would look to the law. So for instance, the Ten Commandments, would that be a good description of what it means to be righteous? Yeah. What's the first one? Remember? No other gods before me. So that means, that's, that's the biggest one, that's fundamental. That he's always the best to you, he's your treasure, he's your authority, you look to him for everything, um, you're satisfied, you're submitted in him. He's your God, he's the one you fear, he's the heaviest weight in your life, most important to you. All right? And then throughout the rest of the Ten Commands, we have more details on what that means. So one of my favorites, because it's the most crushing, is thou shalt not lie. All right? So, you know, it's interesting. We, we break the, the, the next nine commands because we break the first one. Um, so when you lie, why did you do it? Well, I, wanna, I don't want to assume, right? How many of you have lied? <laughs> and, the, and those of you who didn't raise your hands, the rest of us are like liars, right? <laughs> oh, gotcha, okay. Um, and how many times have you lied? Just once. <laughs> Liar, right? A million times. What does that make you if you've lied a lot? A liar. Does it make you righteous? No. And, and, then, and then make it worse. Why did you lie? I know why I lied. It's because I wasn't looking to God for everything that I needed, for my identity. Uh, I wasn't finding the humility I need before him. When I lied in my pride, I was trying to cover something up to make myself look better. I was trying to manipulate the circumstances. In a, in, a, in a small but real insidious way, I was playing God when I was lying. I broke that command too. And, th- and then I lied. I, 
Only God knows how many times. Not to mention the rest of the commands. So that's why what Paul is saying here in verse 21 is so good. The righteousness of God has been manifested or seen or experienced or or been granted apart from the law. And why do you need God's righteousness apart from the law? It's because you haven't kept the law, right? If the law is a description of righteousness, how many of you are righteous based on God's standards? I'm not. And this is like the human disease. Man, I've heard this a million times. I've probably done it too. We think we're good people. And then that standard of good, it always comes down to what you're, well, what is the standard, right? And a lot of people are like, well, I've never murdered anyone. Great. So you're better than Jeffrey Dahmer. But is that the standard? Is that God's standard? When we stand before him on the last day, is he going to be like, everybody better than Hitler? Come on in. Hitler, sorry, you weren't good. That's not a standard. What's, what's the standard he will use? It will be his law, which means I'm unrighteous. I deserve his just punishment. But again, this good news, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So here's what's so good about this. You can have the righteousness of God without following the law. You can be considered good and right before God, even though you've broken everything that he's told you to do and hated him. How can this be? Well, look at verse 22. This is how it can be. How is it manifested? Verse 22, the righteousness of God through what? Faith in Christ Jesus for who? Who's the deal good for? All who believe. There's no distinction. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. That's not part of the qualification. All that matters is what? The righteousness of God through what? Faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. If you trust in him and what he's done, what do you get even though you broke the law? Righteousness. Righteousness. Here's why. Now look at verse 23. Paul sums it up. For all have what? Sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We haven't loved him. We haven't kept the law. All have sinned, but verse 24, we're justified. Now let's unpack that one. That's a courtroom term, justified. You ever had to do uh, jury duty? Uh, considering the ideas of justice, all right, imagine, imagine a, a, a book of evidence about your life. Imagine a book that has um, God's knowledge about your life. So it, it doesn't just have what you've done. What else does it have in it? Your motives, your motives. What else does it have in it? Your thoughts, your words. And so imagine standing before God the judge and, and, and like an open book is the evidence of all your life. And you, you play that imaginary theoretical game, right? What if, what if everything you said this week was played over our sound system about everyone else in the room? I gotta go, right? I gotta clean out my purse or something. I, you don't wanna hear that. Or what if everything you thought this week was, was played on the overheads? You don't want to see that. What if, what if your motives behind even the good things you've done were exposed? I would be so guilty. 
before God. I could never be justified, which is when God says, innocent, righteous, vindicated, okay, right with me. How could I ever possibly get that kind of a verdict from the Holy One of the universe? Well, it's verse 24. We're justified by his what? Grace. So what is grace? Undeserved love. And the first part is really what makes it so precious, I think. It's undeserved. You don't deserve it, but you get it anyway. We're justified, made righteous by his grace as a what? A gift. And what do you love about gifts? They're free. You can just have it freely. Do you realize you can be made right with God, the Holy One, even though you've demeaned him, hated him, broken his law over and over and over again, and you can be considered righteous right before him for free as a gift simply through faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done. As verse 24 says, we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let me sum that up. His perfect life in your place. So you didn't keep the law, but there's one who did. Who did it? Jesus kept the law perfectly. And then he took a cross in your place. See, I deserve God's wrath and his justice for my sin. It was wicked. But Jesus took what I deserved in my place. He took what you deserved in your place. And you can have it simply through faith. He redeemed you. He bought you through the cross. He washed you clean of your sin so that you could be totally forgiven, totally made right. It's the great exchange, we call it, where Jesus gives us his atoning work on the cross, his forgiveness, as we have given him our sin. And so we're redeemed. Look what Paul says in Romans 8.33. Doesn't this sound like Luke, our text in Luke? Romans 8.33. Who shall what? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? What would a charge be? It would be like a condemnation. That would be somebody saying, you don't, you don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve to be with God. You've messed it up too much. You're, you, you've, messed, you've done it wrong too many times. You're, you're not worthy, okay? You, you should, you're an outcast. You're an outsider. You're too bad. You're too evil. Go away. That would be that charge. And Paul's rhetorical question is, well, who can bring any charge against God's elect? So if God's chosen you, and then he says, it's God who justifies. So if God Almighty has said about you, righteous, because you've received that gift through Jesus Christ, then who can say to you, unrighteous? Who can say to you, unworthy? Oh, they'll say it, but what weight does their voice have? Because what has God said about you in Christ? You're righteous. You're accepted, you're loved, you're forgiven. How'd you get it? Through faith. Let me wrap this up. Look at verse 25. So this trade God has done for us in Jesus. Look at verse 25. This was to show what? What is God trying to show? He's trying to display. He's trying to tell the world everything. Hey guys, I'm what? I'm righteous. Now why would he need to show us that? We must be doubting it. You're not righteous. And here's one reason we doubt his righteousness sometimes. Look at verse 25. Because in his divine forbearance, he'd passed over former sins. 
We take, we take forgiveness uh, kind of for granted. And we ask a lot, how can God let bad things happen to good people? The Bible's question, written from the perspective of a holy, holy God, tends to ask, how can God let good things happen to bad people? So think of King David, right? Good guy or bad guy? Yes, right? Righteous or unrighteous? Well, you remember his dark moment, right? He's lazy, taking a nap. Sees a beautiful lady taking a bath on the ceiling, and you're like, what? But there she was, and he says, I want that. And then he tells his servants, go get her. I want that lady. And they say to him very clearly, that is Uriah's wife. You know that dude. He's one of your guys. He fights for you. He's a friend. That's his wife. You know, they're saying politely as they can to a king, no. And he says, I don't care. I want her anyway. And he gets her pregnant. And then he tries to cover it up, right? He starts lying. Tries, starts, I got a doctor this thing. Oh, I'll bring Uriah home. I'll get him a little drunk so he can go. We'll just pretend that baby's his. But Uriah's got more character than David does. And he says, I'm not going to enjoy an evening with my wife when my brothers are out on the field sleeping in the hay fighting a war. I won't do it. He won't do it. And so in the end, David tries to, to squeak out and he has Uriah murder and it kills some other people as well in a battle. And Nathan the prophet comes in and says, Tells him a parable and says, you are guilty. You are so guilty. You have sinned against God. You have sinned against God, and what you've done is evil and abhorrent. And how do you feel if you're Uriah's dad or mom? What do you want for David? You want him strung up by his toes, right? You want to hit him like a pinata. You want him stoned. You, and he would deserve it. And what does God say to David through Nathan the prophet? I forgive you. Now, don't misunderstand. David is going to pay huge consequences for this for the rest of his life. There were some just consequences that happened. But nonetheless, God says to him, I forgive you. And we take God's forgiveness for granted. But When we hear him say to David, somebody like that, I forgive you, how many of you are like, how can the Holy One who hates sin just be like, yo, I forgive you, to somebody like that? Right? How come we don't feel that way about his forgiveness to us? Do you think you're better? I haven't done quite what David's done, but the way Jesus interprets it, I've hated people, I've insulted them, I've been bitter. And steal somebody else's wife off a roof, but the way Jesus interprets it, I've lusted and have committed adultery in my heart. But the core sin David committed was demeaning God. Didn't care about God's authority, didn't care about God's laws. I've done that. Are you shocked that God forgives you? And on the cross, Paul says, God is showing his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he'd forgiven past sins. How can God be righteous and forgive all the sin? Let me show you, God says. It's through the cross. And verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be two things. What do you see? Just and justifier. How can God be just and forgive me and you? 
Because if he's just, he has to bring a penalty for the sin. How can he do it? It's through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. God in his justice poured out every drop of wrath that David deserved on Jesus Christ. And every drop of wrath that I deserved on Jesus Christ. And every drop of wrath that you deserve on Jesus Christ. Oh, the cross, how epic what he was taking. And God is showing you that he's just. I do hate sin and I do pay it out. And I justify the ungodly because I've poured it out on Jesus in their place. God is showing you his justice. In Romans 8.33, who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Luke 18 says, keep praying. For God will vindicate his people. He will bring justice for his people. You know, we have, a, we have a view, this text reminds, we have a view to the past. Has God enabled justice for you? Has he made you right with him? Has he been just and yet justified you? Has he chosen you and made you his own? Has he done everything possible to bring you to himself? Can anything separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? What should be our response? Well, in Luke 18, keep praying. Keep going after him. Keep loving him. Keep seeking him. Keep wanting him. We have a past view of God's justice for us. We also have a future view of God's justice for us. Back to Luke 18, verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. When, by the way? We get told from the second part of verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man, what? When he comes. When he comes. If you're looking for perfect justice now and vindication in this life, you will be disappointed but when he comes when he comes it'll be seen who you are in him all will be made new I'm not going to try to explain these verses just look with them with me Revelation 21 when Jesus comes back this is what we get what's number one God himself will be with them as their God What's he going to do in verse 4? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death, no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, what's he doing? I'm making everything new. Is God going to vindicate his people? Is he going to bring justice? The one who sent his son to live and die and rise in your place, is there any chance he won't finish that work? Is there any chance he'll leave you hanging? There's no chance. He will. What do you think of Jesus' question at the end of this passage? 18 verse 8. 
Jesus feels confident about something. What do you think he's confident about in verse 8? I tell you, he will give what? He'll do it. He'll vindicate him. But what's Jesus' question? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, do you see it? Will he find faith on the earth? We're wondering if God will be just. He's wondering if anybody will be stubborn enough to make it until the end. He's for sure God's just. He knows what he's going to do on the cross for his people. But he's wondering if anybody's going to make it. Is anybody going to keep, is anybody going to endure all the way? Is anybody going to keep going? The big question in the Gospels is people who claim faith but don't finish. Suffering happens, right? And those who, uh, I'm, I'm out, I can't follow God. And then, look, look at what Jesus says in uh, chapter 17, verse 32. One of those weird warnings. You see that? It tells you to remember somebody. Who should you remember? Remember Lot's wife. Anybody you like, uh, never met her. <laughs> Who's that chick, right? Lot's wife. Well, you, her city, right, is getting like fired up. Because it's historically wicked. And God in his grace has saved Lot and his family. But what's Lot's wife want to do? She wants to go back. You see, she just redid her living room. <laughs> and she was invited to a party that Friday night. Um, and she's a member of a special club there. Um, and her kids were about to graduate. What was her problem? Do you remember what happened to her? It's kind of weird. Pillar of salt, right? One of those. What, what is Jesus saying? You see, there's two, da- there's two pressures in this passage that keep you from praying. Pouring out your heart to God, seeking him, following him, wanting him. One pressure is the injustice the widow is facing, right? The hardness of life, the pain of life, the hopelessness, and you just think, I can't, I can't make it, I'm giving up. The other pressure is Lot's wife. I really like this place, right? I'm more into the American dream than I am to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. I want to turn back. I'm going to quit praying. I got, I got friends to hang out with. I got... I got stuff to do. I live here. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife and pray. What did the elect do in Luke 18? Those he've chosen, what do they do in verse 18, 7? And will not God give justice to his elect who what? They cry to him. Day and night, what are they constantly doing? They're seeking him. They're praying. They want him. They want him. This is huge. Are you going to endure in seeking God to the end? Are you going to make it? Are you going to keep going? Remember, why did he tell this story? So that you would pray always and never lose heart. You guys, prayer is the great rebellion. 
Prayer is the great rebellion. Put up the Lord's Prayer for me. This is just an abbreviated part in Luke 11. Oh, that shouldn't say Revelation 21. Okay, typo. It's Luke 11. Prayer is the great rebellion. Okay? What's that second line? Your what? Your kingdom come. Where do we live right now? Right? False kings. False allegiances, false kingdoms. And doesn't it have a grip on your heart sometimes? What's life all about? And your, your allegiance goes somewhere else. Prayer is the great rebellion. Because his kingdom has come. And it will come fully when he returns. But it's starting here. In this passage, Jesus is saying, prayer is what keeps your faith going until the end, no matter what. Look at this prayer. What's the first line? First word. Father. Okay, Father. What does the world say about God? A lot of things. He isn't, or he's not holy, or he's not good, or he's... But who do we know him to be through Jesus Christ? Father, you've, ad- you've adopted me as your own through the Lord Jesus. That, when you pray that, when you mean it, when you feel it, it reminds you of who you are. It's rebellion against everything the world has for you. It keeps you going every time. Father, every time you, you whisper it in your heart alone, every time we pray it together, it reminds you again of who we are. What's the next line? Father, what? Hallowed be your name. What does the world say about our God? Not worthy, not important. They can't see who he is. And what are we praying? Let everybody see how holy you are. Let everybody see how beautiful you are. Let me see it. And then we're praying, your kingdom come. We're tired of the unjust judges with all the power. Your kingdom come here. Bring justice for the poor, for the weak, for the needy. Vindicate your people. Isn't it rebellious? What are we praying in verse 3? Give us what? Give us our daily bread. What's the world say about how you get stuff? You can do it yourself. You're on your own. Make it yourself. Pride. Where do we look? Our God will provide for us. He provides for all our needs. And verse 4, oh, this is rebellious. What are we asking for? Forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive others the world teaches you to get revenge to be bitter to be hateful Christian prayer says I won't do it I'm going to love my enemy I'm going to what I'm going to forgive because I've been forgiven and lead us not into temptation don't let me fall into it don't let me fall into rebellion against you God keep me close keep me close Are you going to endure in prayer until the end? The Father has chosen you. Jesus has made you right with God. The Spirit has filled you. And he's called you to keep praying. Always. Don't lose heart. Be aware that the comfort and the bling of the world and the sufferings and the trials of the world can push you out of prayer, right? And you felt it, right? Haven't you done it before? Days, weeks, months. I'm going to miss church for a while. I'm going to skip this. I'm going to skip that. Before you know it, your view of God has gone down here and your view of everything else has gone up there. What's happening? 
Come back, pray, always. Don't lose heart. God's chosen you. The Father's chosen you. The Son has made you righteous. The Spirit has filled you. Pray, always, and never lose heart. Because guaranteed, what will we see? His justice. And as we cry aloud to him day and night, what will he see when he comes for us? People of faith. Let's pray. Father, help us to pray. And if we feel distant from you today, whoever we are, I pray we'd come back, come close and pray. Say, we need you. We need you. Change our hearts. Lord, if we're crushed today, we pray, encourage us with the promise of your justice. We need you. We need you. Lord, if we're already pressing on, encourage us again. You're coming. Help us to love what you love, to want what you want, to seek your face with all we are. Thank you for the justice you've done for us freely by grace in Jesus. We receive that. It's free. We're made right with you through faith in him. And Lord, help us endure to the end as we wait your coming, Lord Jesus. Amen.